Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a cloud-scale monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and traces from technologies like Istio, AppMesh, and Envoy. Plus, Datadog's service map automatically plots out the dependencies in your microservices architectures for seamless, context-rich troubleshooting. With rich visualizations, algorithmic alerting, and more than 250 vendor-supported integrations, Datadog allows you to monitor your distributed applications in real time. Start a free 14-day trial today by visiting datadog.com cloudcast, and Datadog will send you a great free t-shirt. That's datadog.com cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. We continue to move along through May, kind of uh, getting into the middle of May. Hope everybody is doing well. Hope everybody is staying safe and hopefully uh, getting healthy and and maybe in some cases getting back to normal a little bit. So uh, take care of everybody out there. Take care of your family. Let's jump right into Cloud News of the Week. Uh, A lot of money moving around this week. couple of interesting acquisitions, or not so much acquisitions, sell-offs and a couple of acquisitions and some money moving around. So let's get started. First off, Dell is selling off their Boomi uh, iPaaS platform. Uh, so uh, Dell, you know, kind of an interesting product to be in the Dell family for a long time. Dell very much focused on hardware and infrastructure, owns VMware, uh, you know, owns EMC and all that. But they they own this company called Boomi, B-O-O-M-I, uh, that was in the iPaaS space and actually uh, did quite well for quite a while. It was uh, always highly ranked in things like the Gartner Magic Quadrant for iPaaS. But as Dell tries to restructure their financing, obviously they uh, announced a spinoff of VMware coming up soon. Uh, they're selling off the Boomi iPaaS to Francisco Partners and TPG Capital for $4 billion. So uh, bringing some money back into the Dell coffers allows them to uh, get down uh, in their debt space and uh, really start looking at what they want to be as they spin off some of these other acquisitions. Second one, sort of interesting, uh, maybe not so much cloud, but for anybody who's been around the internet for a while, uh, Verizon is selling off both Yahoo and AOL for $5 billion, again, to uh, uh, private equity. What's interesting about this one, uh, maybe not so much the AOL piece of it, although uh, you know some folks still have AOL addresses. Uh, for those of you that are that are younger, uh, go look up AOL. It used to be the internet, uh, but Yahoo is very interesting because Yahoo is actually probably the, I believe, if I read correctly, the fourth most uh, trafficked property on the internet still. So you know behind uh, folks like Google and Facebook, but uh, so a, a traffic highly trafficked property that is highly highly undervalued or uh, under monetized. So that'll be sort of an interesting thing to watch. But uh, yeah, Verizon, um, as often happens with, um, you know, uh, telecommunications companies, they decide at some point they want to get into the media business, they want to, you know, do more than pipes, uh, but then they eventually oftentimes get out. Um, So it'll be interesting to see sort of what happens now with Verizon as they sell off that business and uh, where they go next with all the 5G work they're doing. Third thing we had on our list was that ServiceNow uh, bought LightStep, a company who really was kind of pioneering some of the early work around observability. Obviously, there are many other companies in that space, uh, Datadog, Honeycomb, uh, Observe, um, New Relic, lots of others. But uh, ServiceNow adding observability to their uh, you know, well-known um, sort of service catalog or service maintenance um, you know, type of business. And then finally, uh, in a trend that we're seeing quite a bit, um, I don't know if it's a great trend or not, but uh, we're seeing uh, a lot of companies taking late round fundings, uh, round E and round F. So CircleCI, who very, very popular in the CI space, um, you know, 
offers uh, you know uh, what's typically considered a fairly simple to use CI uh, system. Took a hundred million dollar F round. So this is uh, you know the last couple of rounds have been hundred million dollar rounds. Um, so they took another round of funding. Um, it's always interesting to see what happens as, as companies continue to take this. You know why they took another round of funding and try, instead of trying to go IPO. Uh, you know are they setting up for something bigger? Do they still think there's an IPO in their future? Uh, but uh, you know Circle CI, congratulations on the new round of funding and uh, you know. You know, you reach a point where, you know, you're probably going to have to sort of redefine the business at that point. So with that, I'm going to wrap up. And, uh, you know, like I said, a lot of money moving around, uh, whether it's selling off or acquiring or uh, raising new funding. So always kind of be the case here in the cloud. It's always good to see that much uh, that much things happening. Uh, and with that, we're going to wrap up and we will talk, get into our show right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Okta the leading independent identity solution. Okta provides best-in-class authorization so your customers and workforce can safely access what they need most right when they need it from anywhere. Organizations around the world trust Okta's identity cloud to sign in, authorize, and manage users, whether it's employees, contractors, partners, or customers. And with Okta's developer tools, you'll never have to build authentication again. Our customizable code blocks are flexible and future-proof, with easy-to-use APIs and SDKs, so you can do less coding and more shipping. Okta is dedicated to building the most reliable, neutral identity platform because it means protecting more than a login. Identity is protecting people, their ideas, their work, their brilliance. It's protecting your future with confidence. Learn more at okta.com. That's O-K-T-A dot com. Today's show is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. You know how much we value ongoing education on the Cloudcast. And CBT Nuggets is exactly what Aaron and I wish we had when we were trying to get our certification early in our careers. CBT Nuggets is all about bringing a personalized touch to learning about cloud computing, virtualization, networking, DevOps, and much, much more. Whether it's their hands-on labs with personalized coaching or the online chat functions that come up with every instructor-led course, CBT Nuggets team of experts is always there to help you get the most from your training and your PASA certification. You can check it all out at cbtnuggets.com cloudcast and sign up for a free trial. You get access to the full catalog of great training, including virtual labs, quizzes, and other premium features completely free for the first seven days. That's cbtnuggets.com cloudcast. And we're back. And folks, you know, as, as anybody who's listened to the show for a while, you know that we always bounce around between a lot of different topics. But sometimes, you know, there are some there are some trends that we like to follow up on and, and things that we like to dig into. And and it's always a fun intersection for us when we get a chance to not only kind of follow up on a topic that people have given us a lot of feedback on, which is things like event-based applications, event-based streaming, Kafka, which we talked to with uh, James Urquhart earlier in the year about. Um, and then whenever there's sort of new technology that's going to scratch the itch of, uh, of the technologists out there and people that love new things. So really excited today to talk to uh, talk about kind of a new concept, a new technology that we think we're probably going to see and hear quite a bit about. Uh, we're going to talk about something called KSQL database and excited to have Michael Droglis, who is principal product manager over at Confluent, the folks who everybody knows with Kafka. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Brian. I want to dive into this because you you had reached out to us. Um, obviously, we've uh, we've talked about Confluent somewhat, probably or, you know Confluent somewhat, Kafka somewhat, probably not enough given kind of how prevalent it is uh, in the industry. And uh, you had reached out and you said, hey, we're working on this really new, cool thing. Um, before we dive into that, though, give us a little bit of your background, because you've, 
Um, you've had an interesting mix of being hands-on as a developer. You've been an entrepreneur. You're now on the product management side. But give us a little bit of your background before we dive into uh, KySQL. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my story, I guess, starts back in you know 2014 when I graduated from college. Uh, my last year of school, I was really into distributed systems. I had a professor who was uh, you know was really near and dear to his heart, and so I, I got a really healthy dose of that. I thought that was uh, really neat. And when I came out of school, um, you know, everybody who who I thought was cool seemed to be doing open source projects. Um, and, and I wanted to be cool too. So I, I also started an open source project. Uh, and the thing that I found that was kind of neat was, uh, stream processing, you know, it was at the time, uh, you know, in 2014 or so, this idea of streams of data was actually starting to become something that was really, uh, integrated into more people's architectures. And they were sort of just figuring out how do you work with it? How do you write programs against it? Um, how do you write programs that are useful and correct and fault tolerant? And it was just, um, really like a, an open problem set. And so, uh, you know, the thing that I did was uh, start to build out an open source community called Onyx, which was a, a stream processing platform primarily targeted at the, cl- the closure programming language. Um, still really into functional programming, have been for a while. Uh, and, and that was really fun. It was It's a, a project that really looked at how do you write streaming programs in a completely different way. They're using mainly data-oriented programming. Okay. Um, and that was uh, successful enough to start a small company on named Distributed Masonry, where we did a couple different things. Um, but the thing that we were most successful at was building a, a new product on top of Onyx called PyroStore. And PyroStore was a, a streaming native data warehouse for Kafka. And so the simplest way to explain it, it was uh, kind of like you have an S3 backend for Kafka where data is actually um, processed, in, processed in as a stream. And you kind of have a, an S3 type backend for Kafka where you're able to to not only access the data in a streaming streaming manner, but also to query it with like regular batch tools. Um, and so that became successful enough uh, for, for Confluent to acquire us in, in 2018. And it became the basis for something known as uh, tiered storage, which we could talk a little bit about later. Um, but after being at Confluent for a bit, I, I've, I've kind of come full circle again. And I work on something called KSQL DB, which we're here to talk about. Uh, and I've you know come all the way back to stream processing. So it's kind of a you know, they're, they're getting backstory. Yeah, no, that's very, very cool. It's, uh, yeah, sometimes it's, you know, you, you're passionate about something, the timing of it is, uh, you know, maybe slightly off from, from where it needs to be, uh, or, you know, it was not, you know, the right place, but maybe not exactly right. And it's cool that, uh, uh, technology sort of goes in these waves that you can come back into it. Um, before we dive into it, let's talk a little bit about Kafka, just so we can set some baseline for people, because that's, you know, at, at the core of, of what you're, you're interacting with. So for anybody new to it, like, what is it, uh, you know, sort of at its core, what does it do? And and maybe what are the, maybe kind of a canonical use case or something that people would be like, oh, okay, that's, that's where it interacts with things. Like that's something I can relate to that, that, uh, that, that, you know, an application would interact with. Yeah. Kafka is, um, is something called a distributed event streaming platform, which is a lot of words, but it's actually pretty easy to break down. Um, there's many parts of the project. But the main one is, uh, is, is a distributed commit log, um, which is really a storage engine for events. And I think the next good question is like, well, what is an event? Um, and a, an event is any kind of piece of data that happened. There's lots of events that happen in the world. Um, if you have customers who are, are browsing your, your website, you know, every page view is an event. Every button click is an event. Every purchase order is an event. It's a very fun concept because you can kind of imagine you know, down to the smallest granularity of like physics, what, what are events and you can become more and more philosophical about it and you get more and more utility, the sure. more fine, fine grain you go. Um, 
but what Kafka gives you is a place to record those events. And it gives you a way to do that where you're able to capture the order um, that, that they happen in. And, and that ends up being like a very a fundamental thing. If you want to make use of the data, you need to know what happened and in what order it happened in. And so uh, Kafka gives you these, these storage primitives called topics where you basically have immutable data. You write what is happening to the, to the topic or to the log and it's recorded immutably. You just, you can't change it. And again, this is really useful from a programming perspective in that, um, you know, once you put something into the, the log, nobody can mess you up. It's, it's just sort of recorded for history. Um, and the thing that makes Kafka really unique is that you're able to have multiple subscribers to these topics of events. And so uh, I can subscribe to the data. You can subscribe to the data. We can be at any part in the log. There's no destruction of these events. And so you can read any part that you want. Again, no one's sort of going to trip you up. And so you have this really, really strong decoupling um, and this has kind of been the basis for why people really like to put Kafka at their company is that you have this like total isolation of different teams and different use cases, and yet you can safely share information. Um, and so this comes up a lot. Companies adopt it for uh, PubSub, published, publisher subscriber patterns, where you want to broadcast information to a company. Um, it's quite useful for data transfer where you're trying to move data from like one database into like several other warehouses as sort of an internal buffer. And then um, stream processing is another huge use case where you're actually trying to take action on these events as they occur in real time. And to me, that's really the most interesting and sophisticated use case. Yeah, and that's that's the one that that, that I tend to hear about the most. Um, you know, as, as to you know why you might use it, you know, net new versus some other type of existing database. Um, it is it is interesting that you talk about it as being. Uh, sort of a data, you know, transport uh, thing as well. Like you can think of a number of of interesting use cases for that. Um, so, so it handles all these streams of data. Um, people can subscribe to them. You know, it, to a certain extent, it's uh, you know replacing of sort of old like enterprise uh, service buses where everything had to be you know well defined, well maintained, and so forth. Um, and then you know you're going to obviously connect those data sources to some sort of application at some point. Um, you know what you know, like you said, there's, there's a number of pieces to that project, but there's also, if I think of kind of the, the completeness of how somebody might interact with it, right. There's going to be, um, you know, their application, there's probably some sort of transformation that has to happen with the data because, uh, I believe Kafka just sort of takes streams. It's not doing it some sort of ETL function. Um, what are some of the, the common sort of pieces that live around Kafka? And then maybe what are some of the the challenges that people often run into, you know, in building these systems. Yeah, you have it exactly right. Uh, Kafka is is so scalable and so useful um, and so performant because it, it actually is so simple. You know, it's really just taking the the raw bytes that you give it and it's storing them in an in ordered log. Um, and as useful of a primitive as that is, it's actually not enough to be able to easily build an application. Um, so the the thing that I always have in my mind is, you know, how do we make it easy enough, like Ruby on Rails, for people to build apps that are actually using this data in real time, I feel like if we could get to that level of simplicity, then we really, you know, achieve something as the industry. Um, and so if you, you kind of look at what Kafka gives you and what's missing, I, I think there's a few things that go into building applications. The first is data acquisition. Um, how do you actually get events from the place that they are born and move them into Kafka? Uh, a lot of people start imagining what it would be like to work with an event-driven architecture and they skip this piece because it, it just feels like it should be a totally solved problem. Um, and then you kind of actually have to go do it. And you're like, oh, I'm, I, I don't, I have to go, you know, build out those pieces myself. And it's a bit unexpected. Um, 
And so this is the domain of something called Kafka Connect. It, it's part of the larger Apache Kafka project. Mm -hmm. um, but what Kafka Connect gives you is uh, a framework to be able to define these connectors where you write the specialized code to, to talk to different target source and sync systems. And this is uh, incredibly useful because there's so much common complexity. There's thousands, tens of thousands of different systems that you can talk to, and they all have particular ways of how they want to send data or how they want to receive data. So data acquisition as a whole is just a, a really challenging thing. And, um, and it's an interesting part of the project to watch evolve. Um, the second piece is stream processing, which is, you know, as I mentioned, how do you, how do you do something with these events as they show up in real time? Um, one analogy that I really like when you sort of contrast, uh, you know, working with your data from a, like a database perspective versus a stream processing perspective, you know, when you write a database query to like process some data, it's kind of like solving a puzzle and, uh, with a regular database, you're given all these pieces, but you really can't see the the face of the puzzle until you fit all the pieces together. It's almost blank. But when you snap the last piece together, the face of the puzzle reveals itself. The the, the puzzle pieces are, of course, the the data and the face of the puzzle, the query result. You're just sort of waiting for it to finish in a right. request response style. But with stream processing, you're you're just given a piece at a time. You don't get you know all the thousand pieces, and you don't get to pick the four corners. And you just take the pieces you're given, and you most intelligently fit it into the puzzle. And it's harder, but the payoff is that um, the intermediary states are obviously incredibly useful. Just like a real puzzle, you're watching the face of the puzzle on, on, uh, 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 unveil over time. Right. And so there's, there's lots of use cases for actually just being able to use that. Um, and the last piece that's pretty challenging and, and is not at all solved by the Kafka project um, in any capacity is querying your data. So you're, you're able to sort of um, materialize these views, if you like, as I described with stream processing, you're aggregating data over time. But how do you actually ask questions about this this materialized data? Um, and you, you end up in these interesting situations where you're trading off the complexity um, of running queries against these views versus the simplicity of uh, just trying to do, uh, you know, get the view into the right form to query it really quickly. And so, yeah, all, all three of these things are, are like major challenges. Some are solved by the Apache Kafka project, some are not. Um, and they, they really form the foundation of like what's left to build. Right. Right. And I think that, I think that is, is, is sort of probably the, the perfect lead into what we are really going to focus on today, which is uh case SQL database or case SQL DB. Um, what is it, right? It's, uh, as I, as I sort of read into it and dug into it, uh, it's real time, it's Kafka, it's SQL as a query language, but kind of walk us through, um, you know, you're at the center of this project, like kind of what's the thinking around it and what parts of those challenges is it, is it trying to solve? Yeah, everything we've talked about so far is, is pretty um, low-level distributed systems internals, data acquisition, processing, query execution. Um, those are, are, it's very cool in the sense that it's a, a, like a neat thing to want to study and dabble with in, in open source. Um, or maybe if you really want to specialize in this, you can. But it's probably not something that people want to be thinking about and doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and so, uh, as I mentioned, if, I think if people want to harness real-time data and, and these streams of data, uh, they actually need to have something much simpler. And so uh, we really wanted at Confluent just to have a much easier way for people to be able to harness this. And I think uh, databases, in particular relational databases and SQL, have been an incredible abstraction so far. They actually bundle up all of the details of storage, query execution, concurrency control, crash recovery. There's a whole lot of things that are hidden behind SQL that you never have to think about. And so what we're really trying to build with KSQL DB is a new kind of database. We call it a streaming database in that it's 
sort of like a classic database flipped on its head and it does everything in a streaming native manner. And so with a with a classic database, as I said, you, you put your data in, you have your data at rest, you query it. And then when the query finishes, you're actually able to get the results. What's actually much more useful in a streaming database is to sort of pre-install these more persistent queries. Data is constantly flowing into your database. It's constructing these tables of view as soon these uh, tables of, of data as soon as your um, your events are received, and then you can query these materializations uh, whenever you want, either in a streaming manner or a request response manner. And so it really tries to flip the whole model on its head and, and give you all the tools that you need: data acquisition, stream processing, querying, and, and storage through Kafka um, to be able to work with your data as you know in a real time manner. Yeah. So as you're explaining to me, and I'm kind of thinking about this, um, obviously. You know, using SQL as a as a query mechanism, like you said, um, it it builds this sort of native structure. Plus, there's just thousands and thousands of people that know how to to write SQL queries. Is it is it sort of designed around this idea that, like you said, you know, in a regular SQL database, all the data for the most part is there for the queries that you've got to make. In in the case of Kafka, it might not actually be all there. Right? Like you may ask a query, and two or three of the ten pieces you need aren't there. Is it designed to handle that that sort of expectation that certain things won't be there, but you can you can sort of manage the fact that that's, that's at the core of it? Or is there something different about, you know, the challenges of, a, of, of you know, of querying streaming data, if you will? That, that's exactly right. So with a, a regular database, you kind of assume that you have all the data that you ever will, and you run your query, and then you get your results. And, and maybe you get some more data, and you reinitiate the query, but you're really just scanning the whole data set again and again and again. Um, with stream processing, you, you actually don't know if you ever have all the data. And this is very much reflective of the real world. You might have mobile apps that are cut off from a network, and then days or weeks later, they're actually transmitting new data. And so there's a necessity in stream processing to, to be able to deal with out-of-order data and unbounded data sets. And that's a whole element of the programming model with, you know, how do you um, define tolerances for how long you're willing to wait for data? How often do you emit updates as your query results change? You kind of give yourself knobs to be able to work with those things in a, in a capacity of making trade-offs. And, and it really is fundamental to the model and, and fitting that into SQL. Gotcha, gotcha. And so uh, up until this point before, uh, you know, KSQL was created, like, how, like, what were people doing to kind of deal with this part of it? Or was this just one of these things where you had to design around the fact that nothing really existed in this space? This was a really rapidly evolving area. So, so back in 2015 or 2014 or so, there really wasn't a whole lot going on. There was Apache Storm, which was kind of just getting off the ground. But you, know, you really were on your own to design these programs and figure out their semantics and their APIs. And uh, predictably, none of that went very well. And so it took a couple of years for this to really warm up. And, and a lot of other projects came onto the scene. Kafka Streams is one, which is, a, again, part of the Apache Kafka project. Apache Flink is another project that that does a really great job at this. And there's there's a couple of others. Um but yeah, before KSQL DB, I mean, if you really wanted to build one of these things, you, you have to be a quite, quite a good uh, backend systems engineer, probably working with Java and some re- relatively complex APIs. You're designing programs that are imperatively handle, handling the, the data and uh, carefully figuring out what to do. You're dealing with a lot of logic for how to start your applications, how to deploy them, um, and really getting into the weeds of figuring out what, what does it mean to work with data when it shows up at particular times into particular places. And so uh, this was quite a low level of abstraction. People still do it, but it's it's obviously not the preferred method for, for most engineers. People just really want to be able to write their application and move on with their day. 
and and so that's kind of where people have been before uh, you know, a streaming database was was created. Yeah, it's 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 always. I mean, the database space to me is is always fascinating because, you know, we've we've gone from you know decades of sort of SQL as the the only way to do it to now this explosion. You know, we've got time sequence, we've got GraphQL, we've got you know uh, streaming databases, we've got uh, you know no SQL types of stuff. So it's it's sort of fascinating to me the chicken and egg that always happens between um, you know a, a new use case comes along, somebody realizes well. I could stand a database on its head to do that, but it really wasn't designed to do it. Let's let's build something that's appropriate for it. And this just feels like kind of the next the next evolution, um, given how how popular Kafka has been uh, in so many different places. Yeah, I think it's reflective of how important data has become to different you know companies and society. We're trying to use data in all kinds of different ways. As you said, the access patterns are, are changing. You know, we had relational databases for a long time. Then we had key value stores and graph databases and columnar and uh, um, document databases. And, and now this is something kind of new altogether where uh, it's often the case that you have software that's, you know, you're, there's not really a human at the desk issuing queries to match up drivers and riders for like the, the Lyft or the Uber app. This is actually just software communicating with itself. And this is really what lends a streaming database to be a, quite an interesting idea in that it's, it's reactive. And these streams are actually a very nice, uh, you know, lingua franca for different programs to talk to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what are, I, I'm, I'm curious, uh, give us a little bit of, you know, sort of timeline and maturity of the project at this point. Yeah, so the the pre- predecessor to, to KSQL DB was a project called KSQL, and, and that was launched around 2016 or so. And the um, idea of that project was to really just pro- to provide like a SQL dialect on top of Kafka Streams. Um, when you issue these KSQL DB queries, what they actually do under the hood is they, compile to these Kafka streams, lower level Java topologies, and they run and they take advantage of all the work that's gone into the Apache Kafka ecosystem. And so that, that was pretty successful. And then we got to about 2019 or so, and we, we wanted to do something a bit bigger, you know, a SQL dialect was cool, but like, you know, you're really just layering on another piece on top of something that's complex. And so how much have you really gained? And so we, we wanted to look upward and, and figure out how do you really achieve this level of simplicity that we've been talking about and that's when the idea came to us about really getting serious about the abstraction of a database um, and investing heavily into the SQL layer, into the query layer, and making stream processing like the flagship feature that would really drive this. And so um, it's really been running KSQL DB in earnest since since 2019. Okay. Okay. And and obviously, you know, when you when you start things, you have certain you know kind of use cases or or personas in mind. Um, what are what are a few of those sort of you know what you would expect to be kind of common use cases and and have you you've been sort of surprised yet by the community coming up with uh, something where you're like wow I had I had no idea but yeah, I guess that sort of fits. Yeah, I, I like to divide the use cases into sort of technical and business, and so the the technical use cases that we we see quite a lot are um, you know these these real time materialized views that I've been talking about. It's it's no surprise that people are are using that since that's kind of the thing we put a lot of focus into. Um, and, and there's there's a lot of analytical use cases around that. Um, we also see a lot of uh, adoption around these streaming ETL pipelines, um, which is kind of what KSQL's you know original intent was, where you have this system that sits in the middle of of other uh, data storage engines, and you you actually just need to change the way data looks as you move it from place to place. This is actually a pretty tricky problem when it comes to streaming, and there's not a lot of great solutions. And so, building out these pipelines is really integral for uh, for lots of people. And then the last are uh, event-driven microservices. And I think this is kind of the big overall promise of the event streaming world where 
you know, you have these systems and applications, they're ingesting events, they're maybe creating some internal state, and then they're triggering side effects. And what they actually do is that they create more events. And so you have this virtuous cycle where events are the currency that everyone's using to transact um, and, and to communicate with one another. And so that those are really the areas where we see a lot of technical adoption. Um, as far as where we see this in getting applied in the real world, uh, I've seen everything across the industry in like retail, financial services, transportation, and mixes of all the use cases together, which is very cool to see. I'll often see real-time uh, view materialization being tacked onto like the end of a, a real-time data pipeline. And, and that's really cool because you start to see just one abstraction SQL kind of handling all the events at a very high level. And uh, it's very, very gratifying to see that. Yeah, no, that's that's very, very cool. And, and again, it's, you know, it's always sort of interesting to sort of watch the, again, the yin and yang between, um, you know, sort of use case ideas, uh, new technology comes out, expansion of, of the ideas, expansion of the technology. So very, very cool to watch that. And we will we will put a bunch of things in the show notes. Obviously, this is a, a newer topic for a lot of people. Um, you know, we talked about a lot of concepts and they can get uh, a little bit technical, but we'll put some we'll put some good things in the show notes for those of you that want to kind of dig in and, and follow up. Um, Michael, what's maybe some of the best ways for folks if they're interested in this, either to to reach out to you or get engaged with the, the KSQL DB uh, community and, and, and team working on stuff? There's two great places to go. There's the KSQL DBIO microsite, which has a, a wonderful getting started uh, tutorial and, and a link to a really nice set of docs. And so that, that gets you off the ground really easily. And then uh, our whole team hangs out in the Confluent uh, Slack community. So you can sign up for that for free. The whole team who works on the project hangs out there and, and chats about the you know the going ons of the project and answers any questions and uh, we love to talk to new people so uh, everyone's welcome. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Well, listen, uh, with that, I'm going to wrap it up, uh, Michael. Thank you so much again for the time today. Uh, you know, we we appreciate you reaching out and and introducing to us to, to something new, which you know uh, I think given all the cool things that uh, Confluent works on and, and kind of the spread of that community, we can expect to see big things from uh, from KSQL DB. So um, again, everybody, thank you so much for listening as you always do. Thank you to Michael for the time today and for myself and Aaron. We want to uh, you know, ask if you get a chance, tell a friend about the show, uh, continuing to help us grow. Uh, we are you know, continuing to release Cloudcast Basics for those of you that have got friends that want to learn new things. And with that, we're going to wrap it up and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 